this is Felice Thomas, your host of The Cell. I would like to thank you for listening to The Cell and for listening to Community Radio, WGRNLP 91.9 FM. I'd like to welcome our listeners back. We're going to be discussing two important topics tonight, bone marrow and gene therapy transplants. And here with us tonight is Dr. Hema Runjarajan. She's a clinical associate professor of pediatrics in the Division of Blood and Marrow Transplant and Cellular Therapy at Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. Welcome. Thank you very much. And you can call me Dr. Hema moving forward. Dr. Hema, do you mind explaining to our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you got into uh, this particular area of medicine? Well, um, Felice, I think it's it's a long journey, like all of us, right, to get where you want to be. And my journey possibly started in when I was in med school. Uh, I did my medical school in India long years ago. And, uh, you know, pediatrics always fascinated me. Uh, you know, I liked taking care of kids. And blood disorders, um, you know, blood disorders and cancers also fascinated me. And I, I trained in what we call a government hospital in India, where it was a, like a resource-limited setting. So I got to take care of uh, people from diverse backgrounds, predominantly, you know, lower socioeconomic backgrounds. And, you know, it gave me a lot of satisfaction taking care of them. But I was also limited by what was available in my setting, and I yearned to learn more how to better treat patients with certain diseases, especially blood disorders. So I traveled quite a bit. Uh, I finished my med school and even my Pete's residency in India, United Kingdom, uh, for about three and a half years, where I also did a stint in uh, you know, the Royal, uh, Royal Hospital, Belfast, uh, for uh, a year in um, pediatric hematology, oncology, blood and marrow transplant. And that kind of spurned my interest even further that this is an area that I want to really make a difference, especially uh, transplant for blood diseases and cancer. And uh, finally, my journey ended in the U.S. because, you know, there were more opportunities to engage in research. And just there were a plethora of opportunities I knew existed here. So I made my journey here in Milwaukee where I did my fellowship and then finally landed here at Nationwide Children's almost a decade ago. And since then, I've been here with the division and supported by uh, wonderful colleagues and, you know, an, an unbelievably great environment uh, to pursue my passion. Uh, to make a change in uh, lives of people with blood diseases and cancers, especially children. So that's where I come from, and uh, you know my my pat my focus on sickle cell uh, stems from my experiences of having taken care of kids with thalassemia and sickle cell over throughout my career, and that's where I'm here right now. Okay, I wanted to ask you a question uh, real quick, going back into your childhood. Mm-hmm. At some point in your childhood, what triggered your interest in the blood disorders and diseases? What happened or what experience did you have that made you say, this is what I want to do? You know, when I was a child, I probably wanted to play all the time. (laughs) But I think I knew I wanted to go into medicine maybe when I was in high school. Uh, but when I went into medical school, I was just fascinated uh, from, you know, a particular field, uh, hematology, uh, quite a bit, um, you know, looking under the microscope, looking at the cells, 
Uh, interestingly, sometimes people tell me my first four letters is hematology, like, you know, HEMA, so uh, I think it kind of <laughs> rhymes. But having said that, that's not the reason I'm passionate about it. But it was just like, you know, taking care of the kids, uh, you know, back. Um, you know, sickle cell is not just in the U.S., in Africa. It's there in India, too. Um, it's a global disease, and the burden of the disease is actually more elsewhere than the U.S. It's high burden in India and Africa. So you get to take care of these patients who come in with pain crisis. You look under the microscopes, you look at the sickle cell, and you wonder, like, you know, uh, they are suffering quite a bit, almost like our cancer patients. They come with frequent admissions, frequent, uh, you know, treatments. How can we make a difference in their lives? And I think somewhere along the journey, I knew that I wanted to work in a curative aspect, like something that would fix things permanently if possible. And that's where, you know, transplant and now gene therapy comes in play. So I would say I didn't start in school. In school, I probably just knew I wanted to go into med medicine. Uh, but I think it, my journey actually started in my med school when I was rotating through different specialties, when I knew that this is what really fascinates me and, you know, transplant being a cure, hopefully a permanent fix is what I should be trying to offer patients who are going through this really arduous journey. Okay. Like yeah. you said, you, you specialize in bone marrow and is it stem cell or cellular therapy? Yes. Uh, why don't we start with bone marrow transplants? Because mm -hmm. I think that came first, didn't it? Before. Yes. Um, okay. Mm -hmm. So let's start with bone marrow transplant. Did you share with our listeners, because I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, individuals out there that know somebody or themselves that mm -hmm. might want to consider having bone marrow transplant. What is it and what are some of the qualifications that you would need to have to qualify? To, and what are some of the post-op things that they would have to also consider and look at? So you're uh, exactly right, Philly. Bone marrow transplant came first before gene therapy. And, you know, it's it's quite interesting. I, I should share this with the listeners, What the story, when the story began. So it began in 1984 uh, when you have this young girl who's nine years old um, who had both a blood cancer and sickle cell disease at the same time, and she needed mm. a transplant to cure her leukemia, which is the blood cancer. And interestingly, the doctors found that when they did a transplant for her from her brother, they used mother cells from her brother, which I'll explain later, she was cured of both her bone marrow, uh, her leukemia, and also her sickle cell disease. So that's all, you know, it was almost like incidental. It was just, oh, wow, we could do this both. And that actually spurned this field. Since 1984, we have been doing transplants for sickle cell disease. So keeping that in mind, and, you know, when we talk about gene therapy, it's a fairly new science, right? A fairly new treatment. It's just been there for the last few years, whereas we've been doing transplants since 1984. So what is bone marrow transplant? And now, uh, you know, very simplistically, uh, for my viewers, uh, I'm going to kind of walk you through, like, what is a transplant? So if you think about it, we all have bones in our body. Now, inside the bones, we actually have a factory. And that factory is working every minute, every second, churning out different things, which make us live, breathe, and work and function. So what is this factory? This factory inside the bones is called the bone marrow. 
and it looks like a sponge. Basically, it's a sponge consisting of tubes um, containing blood flowing through it. That's it. But it's surrounded by the bone. So why is this factory important? Factory is important because it contains the mother cells. The mother cells that give rise to sons and daughters every minute, every second. The mother cells are what we call the stem cells. And the mother cells give rise to a particular uh, you know, son or daughter, which we call the red cell. Then it gives rise to the white cell. Then it gives rise to other cells like platelets and so on and so forth. So every minute, every second, even as I'm you know, talking right now, my factory mother cells are producing all cells every minute, every second, and that's why I'm able to function. Now, one of the cells coming from the mother cell is the red cell. And as you know, and some of my viewers will know, the red cell is the one. It's like the truck that carries oxygen to different parts of the body. And it's important because every part of your body needs oxygen. Now, in sickle cell disease, uh, the truck is defective. The truck cannot offload the oxygen easily. So when the truck goes to the heart, it will say, you know, I cannot give you oxygen. I'm going to hold on to it because I I cannot do it because there's something wrong in my whole you know, setup, which is the sickle cell. So in bone marrow transplant, what we do is, because these trucks are defective, these red cells are defective or sickle cells, we basically remove all the mother cells from the person with sickle cell disease completely and give them new mother cells from someone else who does not have sickle cell disease. So essentially, it's wiping off the factory workers and giving them new factory workers. And these new factory workers, surprisingly, you know, nature is so, uh, you know, clever. It knows exactly where to go. They will go exactly to the factory where they're supposed to be, replace the old factory workers, and these new factory workers coming from somebody else will start producing new red cells that do not sickle. So they're better trucks, they're trucks that carry oxygen better to different parts of the body. So in very simplistic terms, bone marrow transplant is nothing but wiping off the mother cells in your factory, which are inside your bone, and giving you new mother cells, factory workers, from somebody else who does not have sickle cell disease. And in the process, these new mother cells will give you new red cells, new white cells, and new platelets, and many more cells. So that's kind of what is bone marrow transplant. Now, how is it done? It's easier said than done. Now, you know, I always, when I talk to families, uh, you know, in order to explain this, I take myself as an example. Suppose I had to have a bone marrow transplant, and Phyllis, you are my donor. It's not easy. I cannot just get mother cells from you and give it to me, myself, and expect it to work. It will not because my factory or my bone is crowded with my own factory workers. And I also have something called an immune system in my body, which basically tells cells or people who don't belong inside me, go away. You, you don't belong. So it will reject your cells. So it's a complex process. It's not easy for me to take mother cells from you and give it to my to me and you know affect a cure. What I have to do is I have to undergo chemotherapy. And I know these are strong words. You know, people often might, you know, 
patients or sickle cell uh, patients who come to me or say, oh, wow, we didn't know chemotherapy was involved. Well, at this day and age, I still have to use chemotherapy, and this may change. And as you know, chemotherapy are medicines that we use to treat patients with cancer. So why are we doing it for our sickle cell disease patients? Because chemotherapy will help me to do certain things. First and foremost, it will wipe off the factory completely. So if I were to get chemotherapy, my factory workers will be completely destroyed. And I will create, and the chemotherapy will create space in my factory so that the new factory workers coming from the donor, in this case, Feliz Hue, can come and set shop and start production. Now, without using chemotherapy, currently we're not able to do this. But, you know, there is research going on right now to use non-chemotherapy-based approaches, but we still have some long ways to go in order to get that to work better. But in this day and age, as of now, we still need to give chemotherapy to remove all the old factory workers so that the new stem cells can come in and start production. So, you know, it's a very simplified way of describing things, but it's a big process, um, you know, and often uh, patients ask me, so does this mean I have to get a surgery for the patient? It's a surgery for the donor. For example, Felice, if you were to donate uh, mother cells to me, you can donate it in two ways. You can be put to sleep under anesthesia, and then we can go directly to your factory, which is actually your hip bones, and basically get the mother cells from you by multiple pokes, and it looks just like a bag of blood. Or I can get it by giving you an injection and pushing all the mother cells from your factory into your bloodstream, connect you to a machine, and thus just siphon off those mother cells. So there's two ways. So it's actually a surgical procedure for the donor and not for the patient. And for me, myself, if I were to get it, it's just going to be like a blood transfusion. So patients with sickle cell disease will have to get chemotherapy first to empty their marrow or empty their factory. Then they will get the new factory workers just like a blood transfusion. And then we wait. We wait for the new factory workers to work. And hence, you know, it's a long-drawn process. There are several phases to it even after the infusion. We have to wait for the new factory workers to work, uh, make sure they're working correctly, make sure that, you know, uh, the patient's own immune system is not rejecting. So it means that there is a possibility, slight possibility, that the transplant may fail. So we have to watch for that. And we have to watch for a host of complications. You know, very simplistically telling you, the whole process to make sure it works well and it's working okay approximately takes up to a year. But that doesn't mean you're going to be admitted in the hospital for a year. You're usually admitted for five to six weeks for chemotherapy to be given for one uh, a week to 10 days. Then you get the infusion of the new factory workers like a blood transfusion. And then you wait till the new factory workers work and all the side effects of the chemotherapy is gone which is approximately about two to three weeks. And then if everything's okay, you get discharged. But then you have to be followed up for several months to make sure it's working okay. And eventually, if there are no complications, then you are okay by one to two years. 
but this is kind of the entire process of transplant. I hope that uh, kind of helps our listeners understand the bone marrow transplant journey, and I'm happy for you to ask me more specific questions, Felice, if there are any parts of it that you need me to explain further. Yeah, I, I do. I thank you for explaining how long they would have to do uh, the chemotherapy and then how long it is from the time that they get the, the new product in their system. The question that I have is, okay, so if everything goes okay and you're watching them, what happens to the factory workers since there's no more factory workers if it doesn't work, so if it rejects it? Yes, that's called rejection, so you really aptly put it. So, you know, um, that's one complication of transplant, right? So what happens if it doesn't work? So there are many ramifications. If it doesn't work, you probably just go back to having sickle cell disease again. And if it doesn't work, sometimes, yes, this may be hard to swallow, we may take you to a second transplant and make it work. That means we go back to the donor get more factory workers, maybe in a different way, maybe not directly from the bone, but the second method I was telling you, and try to make it work. Now, the possibility of it not working really depends on who is your donor. Now, if, you know, uh, like I said, take an example of, say, Mark. Mark uh, needs a transplant, and his sister, uh, say, Haley, is his donor. So if Mark has a sibling donor, And we call this matching. So how do I know Mark can get uh, stem cells from his sister, Haley? The only way I would know is I have to check 10 patterns in his blood and 10 patterns in Haley. And if they both are matched on those 10 patterns, then Mark can get it from Haley. Now, the possibility of rejecting is lower if you actually get a transplant from a brother or a sister who is matched to you. Now, if you get transplants from somebody else, say me, for Mark, I'm not related to Mark, but I matched on those 10 patterns, it's a little higher. It's about 5%. And then nowadays, we can do transplants from parents who are just half matched to you, not matched on all the 10 patterns, but just five patterns. When we used to do these, what we call half-matched transplants, the possibility of a transplant failing was almost 50%. So it worked 50% of the time, and 50% of the time it didn't work. But now we are getting better and better. So now the possibility of that happening is only about 10% at the most for these type of transplants, 10 to 15%. It's still not zero. We acknowledge that. You know, we, um, the medical team, know that we still have to do a better job. We need to bring it down to zero. But I think it's important for viewers to understand that this is not completely zero. You know, it's not, it's not foolproof. It comes with its risk. But, yes, to your question, if it doesn't work, you're back to having sickle cell disease again. So is that, your, is that the patient's own body reproducing uh mm-hmm. Their the, own factory. Yeah, their yeah. own uh, factory with the de- defects and stuff like yeah. that. Okay. I... So what happens is basically the immune system, right, it somehow mm-hmm. doesn't accept the new factory workers and rejects them ultimately. And then what happens is your own factory workers will start coming back and start producing your own trucks that wear sickle trucks to start with. Yeah. 
Okay, that's kind of crazy because I've always kind of wondered about that process. Mm-hmm. If it is a rejection, what happens? And so your own body reproduces its own uh, factory workers and you, you know, kind of go back to the same. What is the best age range to have a bone marrow transplant? Is there like a special age range that you need to be in for it to be more successful? So this is a question, you know, there are questions for which answers change over time, right? So if you had asked me this question a decade ago, I had a definitive answer. I would tell you that we like to catch them young. Because the younger you are, uh, your body has not gone through a lot of damage caused by the sickle red cells. Your organs are what I call pristine. You know, your heart hasn't been affected. Your liver hasn't been hasn't seen a lot of damage from the sickle red cells. So you will be able to tolerate the chemotherapy better. In fact, you know, our younger patients tolerate chemotherapy much better than our young adults and older adults. So this has always been a dictum in transplant, um, you know, that even not just for sickle cell disease, all other blood diseases that we transplant, uh, just kids do much better. So the ideal age, if you have, especially if you take the setting, if you have a sibling donor and, you know, you want to consider transplant, you want to do it before you're 13 or 14 because, you know, we know from studies that the older you get, you will not tolerate chemotherapy that much and you may run the risk of having more complications. Now, having said that, we are now able to do some types of transplants using less strong chemotherapy than before, and we are pushing the envelope towards the age ranges. So, you know, uh, we can take a 25-year-old to transplant using less strong chemotherapy and still cause less harm, like less toxicities. So, in you know, in a very point-blank answer, it would be younger. I, I would say 13 and under, uh, but... Uh, you know, we're always pushing the envelope because I know that it's never ideal, right? Uh, We won't always get the patient at that age that we wanted. And maybe their disease was fine till they were 13 or 14, wanting to kind of morph into a more bad uh, disease manifestations, like they're always in the ER, they get chest crisis. So we will find that as you age, that sometimes sickle cell disease just gets bad with age. So, um, yeah, ideal is younger. Uh, That is always kind of the dictum. But we push the envelope all the time to find better options for our patients. Um, My understanding, but don't they have like a register or registration called Mm -hmm. Be the Match? It's it's a wonderful uh, opportunity for many of us to be donors. It's called BeTheMatch.org. So you can Google it up. It will pop up. So Be The Match is supported by the National Marrow Donor uh, Registry, and essentially it's a big database. It's a big database containing um, the information of many individuals worldwide, not just here in the U.S., but just worldwide, uh, who who altruistically state that, hey, you know, if there's somebody who needs a transplant for a cancer or blood disease, I'm willing to give them my mother self. Uh, You know, recently at Nationwide Children's, we transplanted a patient who got her for sickle cell disease who got her mother cells from a person in France. So, you know, the National Marrow Donor Registry houses all that information, especially what 10 patterns each person carries. 
So if tomorrow, say, Mark wanted a transplant and his sister, Haley, was not a match, we take, we do a simple test. Um, we check the 10 patterns in his blood. We input this into a computer program, uh, which is linked to the, you know, be the match. And essentially, it will spew out whether he has a match throughout the world. And if it does, if he has 10 matches, then we have the contact information. We will call them and say, hey, you know, Mark needs a transplant for sickle cell disease. Would you be willing to give your mother cells? And believe it or not, there are lots of altruistic people out there who are willing to do this for people they have never met in their life. Um, but, you know, having said that, um, you know, the registry is more populated by people of white European um, race and ethnicity. There's less of people like us, like Asians and African Americans. This are not a lot of us. And I think it stems from the fact that not many people know about this existence. And sometimes people are afraid and scared. They're like, you know, what is bone marrow donation? Is it bad for my health? What's going to happen to me? All I can right. say is, it's not, it's not, it is safe. It's been done for many decades now. It's safe, uh, you know, because I'm a pediatric um, bone marrow transplant physician. Sometimes we have babies as young as six months donated to their siblings who are three to four years of age who need a transplant. So if you take that analogy, it is pretty safe. It is like a blood donation. You will form your factory workers again, uh, and it is done safely. And I think for the biggest thing for, you know, the African-American population here in the U.S. is representation, right? We need more people to be on the registry because you're more likely to be matched so it's somebody of your own race and ethnicity on those 10 patterns than somebody who is Caucasian, right? So right. I think it's very important for our viewers. And I'm glad you brought that up because uh, be the match org. I, I would kindly request our, our viewers to go onto that website, look it up. It's very simple. You register, they send you a swab kit, and you basically kind of just scrape the inner aspect of your cheek, uh, cheek with like a Q-tip. That's it. And you put it in the pack and you send it. You give them your email ID. So in case, maybe five years down the line, maybe 10 years down the line, you may be found to be a match, maybe for a child with cancer or even sickle cell disease. And you will be called and requested to say if you are interested. You can always decline, but it's an option, you know, and I think more representation is what we're looking for in these registries. That has been so interesting on how you explain bone marrow transplant. I mm -hmm. thoroughly enjoyed it. I really did. You have done the best that I have heard. I really enjoy I love the ideal of the trucks. I love the ideals of the mother. Uh, it, it was just fascinating, and I could actually visualize what it was that you were saying. So I do appreciate that. I appreciate that a lot. Is there anything that you want to add on bone marrow uh, yeah. before we go to gene therapy? I do. I do. I think I haven't painted the full picture, and I don't think I could do justice without telling you what other bad things can happen, right? The thing okay. about is when it works, it works beautiful. It, it, it's a it's a sight to behold, right? Um, yes. In interest, you know, patients don't have pain crisis. They don't have to be in the hospital. Uh, they will have normal quality of life. So it works. When it works, it works beautiful. And, you know, I say 
some of our patients who we transplant at a younger age. So, you know, I transplanted a child at three years of age with sickle cell disease from his sibling. I met him um, two months ago when he is 10 years of age. And I asked him, hey, how are you doing? He said, yeah. He doesn't know what it is to have sickle cell disease. He doesn't remember. He doesn't know what we're talking about because we cured him, right? So Correct. it's fascinating because when you transplant at a younger age, the kids haven't really endured all those hardships that our adolescent and young adults endure. So they don't understand the concept of what it is to be living with the disease. But having said that, it's not a procedure that I offer to everybody. There's a lot of thought and consideration because there are aspects to it that we have to be careful. Some things is it's not a risk-free procedure. There's always a possibility that things can go bad and you may not survive the process, right? Uh, the way I describe it to patients, it is a toxic medical procedure. So to be honest, we only take patients nowadays, if they don't have a sibling donor, those who suffer a lot from their disease. You know, they're in and out of the hospital, they've had a stroke, uh, lots of complications. Then we say, you know, sickle cell disease has affected your quality of life. It's time to think about a cure and you weigh your risks and benefits. So what are the risks? Some of the risks that I want my viewers to know about, and this is often in conversations that I have with our patients and families, it's like a deal breaker, right? One yeah. thing is I already told you, you may not survive. It's less. I mean, we are getting better. Our supportive care practices are better. Hospitals and teams are getting better. So the risk is low. It's less than 5%, but it's not zero, right? It's never zero. I would love to say it's zero, but it's getting better. Uh, you never know who is the one who is a bad, I wouldn't say bad player, who just is unlucky and, you know, it doesn't work the way you want to. Now, the other problem with transplant, which is a big thing, is called graft versus host disease. And I don't want my viewers to think, learn that terminology. In a very simplistic way, the way to understand this is, remember I told you, if Mark has an immune system and rejects Haley cells, it's because his immune system is strong. Or in my case, my immune system may reject Haley's cells because I have an immune system which says, hey, you don't belong to me. What are you doing in my body? Go away. That's transplant failing. But if the donor's immune system, when I get the donor cell, say, Felice, you're giving your mother cells to me, your mother cells have an immune system of their own. And when they come into my body, the new factory workers, they will say, oh, where am I? Uh, I don't think this is me. I know I am matched to you on those 10 patterns, but you're not me. And in the same case in Mark, uh, you know, Haley's self may say, okay, I know you're my brother. I know you and I are same on those 10 patterns. We match, but you're not me. So I'm going to start attacking you. So it's almost like a reverse fight, right? Mm -hmm. And this reverse fight can be bad. Um, and mm. this often, you know, and I'm going to be honest with my viewers, I never wish this for any of my patients. But I also have a moral pang in my heart when it happens because it's the worst thing to experience, right? You substituted one thing for another. You cured them of your sickle cell disease, but voila, we have another issue here because the reverse fight is happening. And the reverse fight can cause a skin rash. It can cause diarrhea. It, you know, basically the new cells are saying, hey, the skin doesn't belong to me, okay? So I'm going to fight it. Uh, this liver doesn't belong to me, so I'm going to irritate the liver. 
oh, these intestines don't belong to me, so I'm going to cause diarrhea. And over time, it can basically say, hey, nothing belongs to me. Now, the risk used to be high, but we are getting better, but it's not zero. And, you know, the percent, like if you had a sibling donor, why do we say a sibling donor is best? The sibling donor is the best because your risk of developing this reverse fight called GVHD is low. But if you were to get it from somebody who's not related to you, it is greater because at least your cells are going to recognize my body as not, right? Because we both are not related. But if it was from my brother or in Mark's case from Haley, it's more likely they're going to accept each other, right? So this is a complication of transplant, which again, sometimes it's not palatable, right? Uh, you don't want to go through this. And the risk is about you know, 10 to 20%, and the older you are, it gets worse. And But we are doing newer types of transplant. We are bringing it down day by day, and it is getting better, but it's not zero. And again, I always say it's not zero, because when families and patients are considering treatments, they need to be thoroughly informed of what can happen and be prepared for it. And the last thing I always think is a deal breaker is fertility. Fertility essentially means the ability to have children of your own, right? Unfortunately, mm. right now, when we use chemotherapy, we often damage the sperms and the eggs. This is almost mm. certain. But it really depends. If I use strong chemotherapy, which we used to do in a decade ago, yes, it's going to happen. But nowadays, we are lowering it. We are not using strong chemotherapy. So there is a possibility that we may retain your fertility. Now, I have to make sure my viewers understand it doesn't affect your sexual function. It doesn't affect uh, you in those ways, but it will impair your sperm production. It will impair your egg production. You know, because women are just, we just have a definite amount of egg follicles when we are born. And when we get chemo, some of them are destroyed and our reserves go lower and lower. Mm -hmm. So in this day and age, for my viewers, if you ever, ever consider a curative option, whether it's transplant or gene therapy, always talk to the medical teams. I want to consider fertility preservation techniques, whether it's retrieving your eggs, storing the sperm, possibly taking a piece of the ovarian tissue and storing for the future. And I think most of us medical teams across the country, we will not offer patients these form of treatments unless there's been a thorough discussion about the risk of infertility and the possibility of storing your eggs and sperms or whatever for the future. Having said that, miracles always happen. We have people who have gone through transplant who become pregnant normally or father kids. It can happen, but for most part, infertility happens. But we are trying to get better. We are trying to use regimens that are less strong, less damaging to the sperms and the ovaries over time. So, you know, we medical teams have to, we're, we're, we have to be transparent and tell you the risks. The cure comes with the price, and unfortunately, this is, again, a deal breaker. So I always think it's like a triangle. It's you know, infertility, then you have possibility of not surviving, and then this so-called GVHD. So these, these are the deal breakers. And I understand from family standpoint how afraid they would be, and we are here to support and navigate this. But most of the time, these things don't happen. 
at least not the infertility, but at least GBHD and uh, in a not surviving, and we're able to go with this. Unfortunately, fertility is the process that we're still working on. So I hope that you know gives you an unbiased view of what could happen. But like I said, when it works, when it does, most of the time it's really beautiful. Okay. I like that. A question that I have is when you talk about that they might be able to do egg retrieval, sperm retrieval, mm -hmm. and you mentioned that the age, it's better to have the bone marrow transplant at a younger age. What is the age of which they could possibly uh, do a sperm retrieval and egg retrieval? Uh, they're great questions. I'm not a fertility expert, but I do have some knowledge about these procedures because, uh, you know, most of my patients get fertility consults. I always tell my boy, the boys are lucky <laughs> in the sense, I think it depends on the psychological maturity of the boy, right? You could have right. an 18-year-old who may not be able to give a sperm sample, or you could have the 16-year-old who can give us a sperm sample, right? Uh, okay. You can ask the sperm uh, from the testis and store it for future. It can be done. Uh, mm -hmm. But boys do have it easy because it's not easier <laughs> for them. And, you know, Correct. it's a queasy topic, but I tell the kids and the young adults, please don't be queasy. You don't know what your future holds. You can't think about it right now, but let us do a little bit of thinking for you and please, please store the sperm, right? We tell them. Right. Uh, now, for so, but the younger boys, it is hard. They don't have any sperm production, and you are abs you absolutely hit the nail on the rock. Yes, what do you do if you're 13 and under, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think when you're 13 and under, it's experimental. We do offer at Nationwide Children's Testicular uh, Tissue Preservation. Basically, we take a piece of the testis and store it for future. Now, whether it's going to work, I cannot tell you because it's still experimental. Uh, but we are hoping that medical technology will advance in the future, that we can harvest these testicular tissues and create, you know, produce sperms from them. So that's the hope. What about females? The females have a couple of options. Obviously, we can do egg retrieval, which unfortunately is not a very easy process. You have to have hormonal injections, go to the OBYN who specializes in it, and get the egg retrieved, like what we call transvaginally. So it's possible, right? We can mm -hmm. also do what is called ovarian tissue cryopreservation. Basically, it's a surgery. You go into the abdomen, identify the ovaries, and take a piece of the tissue and store it. Now, interestingly, using that method, uh, pregnancies have occurred in the future for you know, kids with cancer who had it done, etc. So we know that method works. But obviously, the younger they are, we don't know. But I think it's prudent for all of us, all medical teams across the country, to have these honest conversations with our families and offer them. You know, to my viewers, if you are even considering it, it is your right, uh, and you have to be educated that you need to ask for these, you know, before you consider these treatments. So I guess for the woman or for the young girl, uh, because there are, have been or I've heard of young girls getting pregnant at the age of 10 and 11. So as long as they're able to produce, I guess that if they're able to get pregnant at some point, then that's when you're able to retrieve eggs from a young girl, somewhere around that age range, I guess. 
you know, that's a good question. I think the age would be older because there may be some ethical issues in trying to go for egg retrieval in younger than 18, mm-hmm. right? So in okay. those ages, we may just do ovarian tissue cryopreservation because you wouldn't want a 10-year-old to go through hormonal injections and go through transvaginally retrieving the eggs, right? So right. I, you know, so I think, not I think, I know that uh, less than 18 or younger girls, we just do ovarian tissue preservation. So it's like a lot. So, you know, for the purpose of transplant or gene therapy, we cannot put lines in small veins. We have to put what we call central lines and big veins in our body. And for that, you will be put to sleep uh, under okay. anesthesia. And when we do that, we do a, uh, we take a piece of your ovarian tissue. We do two in one. And this is no, uh, you know, I think this should not be a surprise to the viewers that we physicians also fight with insurance, and we have some things that we do to overcome those barriers, right? So when we club both those procedures together, we don't get to build insurance twice, and we do it as a package deal, right? So, yeah, that's how we do it. But, yes, in younger girls, we just do ovarian tissue cryopreservation. Okay. I like how you put emphasis on the age of 18 because I can uh, – most incidents that happen with the younger girls, have mm-hmm. always been through some type of rape, you know, something incest or something or another uh, with mm-hmm. a family member. Uh, so, yeah, 18 would be ethical, I guess, as you would yes. say. Um, but yes. yet um, I just thought about yes, a young I... girl as far as her eggs, you know, being ready to retrieve. You know, I just thought about those I mean, ages that yeah, scientifically, I heard. Yeah, scientifically you're absolutely right, and we don't want our young girls to endure any of those bad things you mentioned. It's there worldwide. We know this. Uh, but I, I I think you're absolutely right. It would make sense, but you don't want the young girls to go through that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, is there anything else that you would like to share with us uh, regarding uh, the bone marrow? So in, there is a host of other things that one could go on and on, but I think, you know, my, view, <laughs> my viewers are more interested, would be interested in gene therapy, so I'm going to devote the rest of the section to gene therapy because I think we set the stage, you and I set the stage for transplant. Once you understand transplant, you will understand how gene therapy is different. I think that's what, you know, our viewers would also appreciate. So, yeah, we could move on to gene therapy. With that being said, this is Felice, your host. Peace out. The Faith Thomas Foundation would like to thank you for listening to The Cell. We broadcast on WGRN 91.9 FM every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. You can also stream us live every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. WGRN. If you'd like to learn more about the Faith Thomas Foundation and to listen to some of our previous shows, please visit our website at faiththomasfoundation.org. You can also visit us on Facebook at Faith Thomas Foundation and on Twitter at Faith Thomas FDN.